This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here to start your week. I tell you what, taking a look at the markets this morning, if you haven't already, the grains are up big. Last Friday, we reported on the signing of that agreement between Russia and Ukraine to allow uh, food crops to be exported from several Ukrainian ports. That was signed uh, during the show Friday uh, early in the day. And then about six or eight hours later, two Russian missiles landed there outside Odessa, and that has put the halt to the potential for Russian grain exports for the moment, sent grains sharply higher. We've also got other news coming today, folks. Hopefully a lot of you made it through this hot weekend, seeing a bit of a cool down. John Baranek of DTN Weather is going to join us in segment two to help us understand what to expect this upcoming week. And in segment three, we're going to talk to Joe Sheely, the vice president of communications at the U.S. Meat Export Federation, about the holdup at the port of Oakland in California. Huge disruptions happening there could be in place for some time. And we're going to close the show getting excited for Husker Harvest Days coming in September. Before we jump into any of that, however, on Friday, we did see two big reports come from the USDA with regard to the cattle cycle. We had the expected cattle on feed report. We'll talk about those July 1 numbers with our friend Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services, but we also got the mid-year cattle inventory report. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Mike. Good morning. Let's start with the overall cattle inventory. We were expecting this beef herd to decline. Dennis, is that what this report ended up supporting? Yeah, the market uh, really contained, or I should say the report contained very few surprises. Uh, the inventory anywhere from mostly down 2% on almost all categories, whether it's uh, uh, steers and heifers or, or, or heifers 500 and over, almost all categories showing down 2%. Uh, the calf crop down 1%. I guess a lot in the trade, including myself, feels like that number is probably uh, overbilled, a little bit uh, over-exaggerated. Uh, simply don't think that there's probably that large of a calf crop out there. Where did they have the calf crop coming in? 34 and change million head? Uh, the calf crop, yeah, 34.6 million head. That was down 1%. Uh, but uh, again, the the cow kill, the beef cow kill, Mike, continues to be elevated substantially. That's been a fact uh, for the first six months of this year, and all indications are that will continue for the second half of the year. Well, and with regard to that cow kill, Dennis, I've seen a lot of reports on social media, of course, so they're all anecdotal, but sale barns up and down the Texas and Oklahoma panhandles just packed with bred cows for sale or, or, or mama cows being cold hard off the farm. Is that something you're hearing in the trade? Most definitely. It appears like it's uh, it's sort of stabilized in the northern plains, but has not stabilized at all in the southern plains, specifically Texas, Oklahoma, some of the Gulf states uh, uh, that are experiencing a severe drought yet uh, uh, in, in a situation where they, they really have no choice but to 
continue to cull the cow herd because of the drought situation. Absolutely. That drought is ongoing. And where do you think this calf crop is going to come at? You mentioned that 34.6 was a little high in your estimation. Dennis, how much more would you take off that number? Well, that's hard to quantify, but but I think the, the, the numbers moving forward will definitely get smaller. And I think that's the, the key input. With the size of the, uh, the cow kill, also, Mike, there's a number... Uh, from the cattle on feed report that indicates possibly record small heifer retention. And I'm referring to the heifers and heifer calves in the on-feed inventory up 3% from a year ago. So that's an indication that heifers are moving into the feedlot and they're not being retained for breeding. And that would indicate record small heifer retention. So the manufacturing ability to produce beef in this country continues to spiral downward. It does. And Dennis, I'm glad you let us into that cattle on feed report. Total cattle inventory at 98%. We're coming down. We're starting to see placements trend down. Are we to a point where we're seeing those smaller numbers work through the system? I think you will see that on a consistent basis from here forward. Placements should continue to be below year-ago levels. In some cases, could be sharply below year-ago levels. And the marketing rate is continuing to be aggressive and above a year ago level. So uh, the math is good, even on this report, which had a slightly higher placement rate than expected. The bottom line is we continue to market more cattle than we are placing into the feedlot. So the math shows that the on-feed numbers are, are coming down. And that will continue, we believe, in the future, not only for a few months, but for many, many months. Well, so Dennis, let's take a look at the price implications of this. We've had the trade open up, obviously, with a lot other factors impacting the market than just the cattle on feed report. Were you surprised with today's mixed trade in the live cattle trade so far? Well, I'm surprised at the strength. I expected a pullback. If you recall, we had a real impressive rally in cattle futures, both fats and feeders, as uh, seemingly they were anticipating bullish reports to come out. The, the reports were not really bullish as far as expectations. We've opened lower, traded lower for about the first uh, 20 minutes, and now we're grinding back uh, through the highs. Live cattle futures slightly higher right now. Feeder cattle futures still lower, but substantially off the early session lows. So overall, I'd rate the action as very constructive. Dennis, we've talked a lot about looking to the future to find quality returns for cattle feeders. And as I pulled up, just looked at live cattle, February 23 contract trading at 152.45 for the winter months. That seems attractive. Does it make sense to pull the trigger on some of those very deferred uh, fat cattle months? No, not in my opinion. Absolutely not. Uh, unfortunately, Mike, uh, from what we're hearing at the auction barns, the, the scramble is on, especially for lightweight feeders. The break-even on a lot of these cattle that are being bid up and secured by the corporate feed yards, we think is a 160, 160 plus. So, uh, no, I, I would not be in favor of pulling any hedges unless you absolutely know what your break-even cost is going to be, not only for the animal, the replacement animal, but also the cost of gain, which will be higher next winter, 
than what it was last winter. So uh, I expect sharply higher prices down the road. Sharply higher prices down the road. Dennis, again, do we have to get to the end of 22 to see those? Uh, no, I think it, it develops here by the uh, fourth quarter. I think you will see production, beef production, beginning to drop off rather substantially. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, you'll see some leverage shift away from the uh, the packers, and I'm assuming that that will translate into a, a, a rising cash steer market uh, as margins narrow. Uh, wholesale right. beef demand is outstanding, so. No, I think you'll see uh, an improvement in price develop here uh, by Perfect. the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, a lot of opportunity there for cattle feeders. Dennis Smith, Archer Financials, thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at FertilizerTour.com. That's FertilizerTour.com. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. 
Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back. And I tell you what, summer is here. I think most of our audience saw some record or near record breaking temps here over the last two or three days. As we start off this week, it appears like maybe some of those hot temps are starting to recede. Joining us for an update is John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Good to talk to you. Let's talk about this heat. It is receding. Who is going to be facing those triple digits today, John? Yeah, fortunately for a lot of us, it's going to break here this week, but we've still got a few more days to go, uh, especially if you're across Texas and uh, Oklahoma. Over into that uh, Delta region here, we're looking at triple digit heat again. Um, but eventually here, we'll see a lot of those areas um, kind of get relinquished from the heat for a little bit as a front kind of dips south later this week. But, you know, if you're down in Texas through uh, the southeastern states, that front isn't going to make it, so the heat's going to stick around. Uh, it's not going to be as, uh, around 110 or, or higher, but uh, triple-digit heat will, will be in play for the rest of the week. Yeah, and when it's 104, is it 104 or 106? It's hot, 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 regardless of what that thermometer says. John, you mentioned that cold front working its way through middle of the week. I've seen some conversations on social media over the past 24 hours. It sounds like this front could be squeezing some moisture out of the atmosphere across the Corn Belt. What do you see this next week? Yeah, quite a bit. As it moved through the Corn Belt, uh, the northern parts of the Corn Belt this weekend, it, it certainly did. Uh, we saw quite a bit of rainfall here across kind of southeast Minnesota all the way through northern uh, Ohio with it. Uh, kind of a wide area here saw, saw one to two inches of rain. There were pockets in there, obviously, the thunderstorms moving through. We saw two, three, four, or even more uh, rainfall out of it. Um, so, I mean, that's been good. But, you know, as the front kind of sneaks through over the, overnight and the, the showers wane, a lot of these areas still got missed. So kind of southern Iowa into uh, western Illinois didn't get much. But the front's not going to move too much here over the next couple of days. So really that southern end of the Corn Belt, you're looking at Kansas and Nebraska, uh, eastward through the Ohio Valley, um, both today and tomorrow, we're going to see some pretty good rainfall uh, with that. And that's, that's the first front. We're getting another front coming in behind that later this week, kind of joining up with that and then pushing it farther south later in the week. So we're still going to see much more rainfall out of this uh, farther south too. So Oklahoma, southern, uh, southern Kansas, all the way through kind of the Tennessee Valley and the southern Appalachians later this week are, are in line for some heavier rainfall moving through as well. All right, John, this is a more active forecast than we've had for the past several weeks. I'm making sure I've got this all right in my head. We have the system coming through today, tonight, and tomorrow, making its way then farther eastward. And then we've got the next system. When do you see that one coming in with another shot of rain for the Corn Belt? Yeah, so that's uh, moving through the Canadian prairies today. It's going to move into kind of the northern plains late tonight and Tuesday, and they kind of join up with that front across Kansas and the Ohio Valley on Wednesday and Thursday, and then push farther south for Friday and Saturday. All right. So any possibility of severe weather with these events or is potentially, you know, very high rainfall totals kind of the only risk? 
Um, no, there's always a risk for, for severe weather. It's, it's not as great because a lot of the kind of the upper-level energy that, that we use to organize, well, not we, but that the atmosphere uses to organize thunderstorms, it's going to be more off to the north kind of in Canada. So um, we don't have a whole lot of, of, of organizing features for, for thunderstorms, but um, um, with fronts not moving very far, and uh, a lot of the upper-level flow kind of going west to east along those fronts, the heavy rain is definitely going to be the biggest threat for it. So we could see some flooding, even in, the, in these drought areas in the, in the southern plains where they've just been begging for moisture. They might get a little bit too much in, at, at some points here throughout the week. All right, John, how far south into the southern plains could this rain event be moving some moisture? Are we talking into the panhandles? Are we going to see Texas, Oklahoma, Amarillo, or New Mexico catch any? Or is it all Kansas and uh, northeast of there? Yeah, I think the panhandles are in line for some. I'm not sure they're going to get the heaviest rain. They'll probably just get a couple days of it kind of uh, Thursday, Friday, maybe Saturday uh, of this week. But, um, yeah, a little bit further north, kind of north of the Red River Valley there in, in Oklahoma, and then southwestern Kansas, kind of a, a little arc through there has, has a better chances for for heavier rain this week. All right, John, what do you see coming into our shores from the Pacific Northwest? Washington almost entirely out of drought category, but then you cross the Rockies into Montana and it's dry again. Any big systems making their way across the country in that part? No, in fact, we have a, a strong range of high pressure, and it's producing uh, quite a bit of heat there in the Pacific Northwest over the next several days. They're under some heat advisories and, and warnings up there uh, for the next several days, really most of the week. Uh, so, you know, they've, they've gotten out of drought, and they've had it reduced um, since the spring, really. Uh, but this week has kind of kind of turned the tables on that a little bit and uh, uh, sapped some soil moisture for those wheat farmers up there. Um, into Montana, though, the Rockies are kind of a dividing line, and uh, especially eastern Montana will be in the much cooler side uh, of everything. So uh, the Rockies kind of dividing the, the hotter west out there in the Pacific Northwest and cooler plains. Speaking of that hotter west, of course, you've still got all of California, all of the Mountain West in a severe drought. John, what is the fire risk situation out west? Have they started developing in a severe way quite yet? Um, it's starting to do that, especially this week here with that, that hot ridge um, really kind of asserting its dominance here this week. Um, you're right. I mean, they're already in low soil moisture anyway. And, you know, what's kind of happened in, across the West is, as fire season typically has been kind of this time uh, through the fall, but it's kind of been picking up. You know, there's not really a, a start or end of the fire season anymore just because they just don't get enough rain at a, at a good portion of the year. So, um, yeah, we're kind of in that uh, the fire risk here. That's it's really popped up, or uh, it's really popping up this week, especially because of the heat. Uh, it's coming to more of that region, but uh, we're definitely yeah we're, we're seeing fire risks uh, elevated. And, you know, that's a really good point, John. After three or four years of drought every day is a high risk fire day, just because there's so much combustible material sitting out there. I would imagine. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and when they do get these bursts of rain that come through. Um, that kind of green everything up, it dries out and dies off really quickly. So you get these really big growth spurts in vegetation, and they all dry out at the same time. And then you just got tons of fuel out there for uh, wildfires to spread quickly.
John, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to jump across the pond over to Europe. We talked to John Holzman on this program. He's a geopolitical strategist based in Milan, Italy, and he has been talking about the immense drought faced by those farmers across France, Germany, Italy, and, and other places in Europe. Just for our audience here, how extreme is the dryness they're dealing with over there? Yeah, I mean, they've been kind of dry all since the spring, especially in the western, northwestern parts of, of Europe there, France, Germany, uh, Spain have been really dry. Um, all really since the spring. Uh, they got a little bit of a reprieve in June, but ever, even since then, it's, it's been, uh, they've been dealing with dryness and drought issues. And then, you know, I, I think everybody heard about the, the, uh, the big heat waves that really kind of intensified last week and brought some record temperatures to uh, much of that area. Um, it did get followed up by some showers that moved through last week, which is, which is good. And there's a few more moving through here this week. Um, so it's, it's not, totally devoid of, of precipitation, but, you know, they are so far behind in their soil moisture and, and rainfall here for the season, and um, they need more. Uh, they're getting a couple of, of uh, little disturbances to move through, but it's producing little patchy, isolated areas of showers and not much to really help out with the drought. And in between all those showers, they're getting bursts of heat moving in uh, again, too, from the, from the south. And so it's just uh, kind of really drying up any, any moisture they do get. And I mean, from a big system perspective, any changes expected to, to this ongoing dryness over there, John? Um, you know, I haven't looked too far out into the future, but at least for the next couple of weeks, we're still on the same kind of pattern. Well, we get a couple of things going right across the northern edge of, of Europe through the UK, uh, through northern Germany and Poland, um, but not a whole lot that's, that's going on farther south. And uh, in the meantime, the, the heat just uh, kind of builds up. So at least the next couple of weeks or so, that's, that's what I've been seeing. But I haven't really looked too far beyond that. Okay. All right. Looks to continue for the short term. John, real quick before you let me go, we did not get to spend a lot of time on the eastern Corn Belt. They've seen enough moisture. Are they expected to get some rainfall here later this week, Ohio and uh, Indiana and places? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of central Indiana into, into east central Illinois. I kind of missed out from the weekend. But we've got uh, a front moving through, uh, you know, uh, that's off to the south. We've got showers moving in here. It uh, looks like uh, models are kind of pointing out that area. We'll get some tonight into tomorrow. And uh, a lot of the eastern Corn Belt, we'll see it with its second front that moves through later in the week, too. So plenty of showers uh, moving through the eastern Corn Belt this week. It's a pretty good, pretty good situation for them as uh, corn's pollinating and we're getting close to soybeans. It too. Indeed, should be some happy corn plants there in the Eastern Corn Belt. John Baranek of DTN Weather, thanks as always for joining us today. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk to Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation when we return about holdups at the Port of Oakland in California. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, 
you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade so far here, working through our Monday morning, grains remain mostly higher, led by the wheat markets as we work through the trading session so far. News over the weekend after that deal was signed for Ukrainian grain exports, we saw that attack on the port of Odessa by Russian forces launching missiles. The Kremlin insists that the strike was intended for a military target and in no way related to the opening of the grain export infrastructure. And they seem to remain on board with the export corridor, but it's something to watch very closely. One has to wonder when grain will start to move out of ports, how big the ships will be, who will insure the ships, and of course, Russia's cooperation. That tied with the weather as we move out of the weekend into this week as we're pumping off the six-month lows with a brief period of more comfortable weather quickly erased again in August according to the latest forecast. We will see rain through parts of the country, the central and southern Corn Belt that really need it this week, but then we'll be shifting back to that hotter, drier forecast as we head into the month of August. Now, also, all eyes are on the Federal Reserve this week, which is widely expected to raise interest rates by another 75 basis points in their July policy meeting tomorrow and Wednesday. That would bring rates back to pre-COVID highs to a roughly neutral level in the eyes of the Fed. We'll be watching all of this news very closely as we work through the week ahead. A few numbers, September quarter up 7, 571 and a quarter. August soybeans up 11 to 3 quarters, 1446 and a quarter. Bean meal, mostly higher bean oil, slightly lower. September Chicago wheat up 15, 774. September KC wheat up 16, 836 and a quarter. Spring wheat, September 8 higher, 879. Live cattle for August up 15 now, 137.52. Lean hogs August down 207, 116.62. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here to start your week. You know, last Monday, trucker protests erupted at the Port of Oakland in the Bay Area in California. And those protests intensified throughout the week and led to several of the terminals closing down business on both Thursday and Friday. Now, the Port of Oakland isn't a huge bulk grain exporter. So a lot of times it gets missed in the conversations about ag exports. But the Port of Oakland is a leading exporter of several high-value agricultural products, including, importantly, refrigerated meats. Joining me today to talk about what is happening there in California is Joe Sheely. He's the Vice President of Communications at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about what has developed here at the Port of Oakland. These truckers started throwing up some barricades last week. Joe, what are they upset about? Right. The protests actually started the week of July 13th in Los Angeles and Long Beach, but they didn't escalate to the point where they disrupted port operations. So uh, everyone got caught a little bit off guard when the, the protests at the Port of Oakland last week uh, were proved to be very disruptive. And uh, from my understanding is that uh, the the rules that are in place now for independent truckers in California uh, make it more difficult for them to operate independently or they that is that is their contention is that these rules that require uh, their employers to provide more benefits to treat them more as full-time employees uh, that was designed, uh, I think those were well-intended rules designed to help them, but the independent truckers don't see it that way. They see it as limiting their options and making it more difficult for them to operate as independent contractors and maximize their earnings. And so my understanding is that that is what their, uh, that is what their uh, problem is. It, it really doesn't have anything to do with trade or the port, uh, but the port just happens to be the venue for their protests. Okay, so there's total frustration with independent truckers in California about this law, and the Port of Oakland is the place of leverage they can use to apply it. Let's talk about the Port of Oakland and why it matters. Joe, when you think of meat exports, does any U.S. port ship more refrigerated meat exports than the Port of Oakland? No, the Port of Oakland is the is the number one port, uh, the number one outlet for U.S. beef and pork exports. Uh, now, you, uh, beef and pork is exported from ports ranging all the way. You go all the way around from New York, New Jersey, all the way to uh, Seattle, Tacoma. There's some amount of meat going out of, of all of the major ports, but Oakland is the number one outlet, uh, accounting for about 37% of all the beef that leaves the U.S., uh, the waterborne beef. This would not include exports to Canada or Mexico, but of the waterborne exports, about 37% of the beef, about 20% of about 22% of the pork goes out through Oakland. But importantly, it is by far the leading port for chilled meat on its way to Asia. Our, our large markets for chilled beef and 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 chilled pork are Japan and Korea, and then chilled beef to Taiwan. And and uh, chilled beef presents. Uh, chilled meat presents a whole new range of challenges when you have disruptions at the port. Uh, when you have frozen meat, when you have frozen meat that's supposed to exit through a port and it gets delayed, that's certainly a frustration and it adds costs and it's definitely a problem. But for chilled meat, it, it, it's really a, a problem of an, an entire, entirely higher level 
because you have shelf life concerns. You don't have a lot of time to spare to get that product on the water as chilled product. And so you run the risk of having to pull it back, freeze it down, and sell it uh, either domestically or internationally as frozen product, and you're not going to get nearly the premium uh, that you were going to get when it was when it was going to be shipped chilled. And so, Joe, I think that is a huge point that uh, I know a lot of uh, consumers, certainly I don't think about the difference in fresh versus frozen versus chilled meats. If a shipper had a load of, of beef, say chilled beef, headed to the port today, looking at these port disruptions, what realistically are their options? Can they keep it in the reefer truck in the hopes this gets fixed in a day or two, or is it best to stick it in a freezer? What are the logistics concerns for these shippers? Well, you have a significant amount of time on the water, uh, and so that that's why you have to take that into account. And one of the reasons that that, for example, Korea and Japan are the are are our main destinations for chilled meat is because they have a very sophisticated commercial channels once the product gets there because it's going to spend probably close to three weeks on the water, and so it needs to get into the commercial channels in the market very quickly and get consumed very quickly. Um, and, and that happens with great regularity in these top Asian markets. We don't ship a lot of chilled product to other markets internationally. We don't ship a lot, for example, to China. We don't ship a lot to, to South America. And that really has more to do with uh, it's, it's, it's a lot less certain how long it's going to take to get to, to the final end user. So we tend to ship uh, far more frozen product to those markets. But as I mentioned, for Japan, Korea, and Taiwan, we do ship a, a very large volume of, of chilled meat. And as far as, as far as the exporter is concerned, uh, they're going to have to make some decisions on this. If it gets, if we're, if we're talking about a couple of days of delay, uh, that's probably not going to be a major problem. But this is such an uncertain situation. It's not a formal strike. It's not a formal labor action. Uh, it's really just a, a, a series of, of protests by, by independent truckers. And so nobody really knows um, how long it's going to last. There were some, some reports that the, the protests dissipated over the weekend, but would likely gear, gear up again today. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens today, whether, uh, whether a lot of the protesters that perhaps took a break over the weekend come back uh, today. Uh, but, but anyway, my point is there's really no central authority that can, can call this off and say, you know, we've made our point, let's go home. Uh, it's really, really a very uncertain situation as far as how long the delays will last. Boy, and that uncertainty just adds costs and uh, and challenges throughout the supply chain. Joe, you mentioned when frozen beef or frozen meat shipments get disrupted, it's frustrating, but they're already frozen. You can pop it in a freezer. Given all the supply chain disruptions we've had, are there still uh, cold storage capabilities around these ports, either Oakland or L.A., Long Beach, et cetera? Uh, I would say that, that finding finding uh, cold storage space is a challenge. It's, it's always a challenge, but it, it's generally possible. Um, more than likely, uh, you know, we've been dealing with delays uh, and disruptions on the West Coast for quite a while, and so exporters have become have become pretty uh, pretty adept at uh, at finding ways to to deal with with delays. 
um, this one was just really a, adds, a, adds kind of a whole new level of uncertainty. So I would say this is uh, uh, delays for frozen product or something exporters are, are somewhat adept at dealing with, but, but it's, it's, never, it's never easy and, it, and there are always costs involved. So uh, as space shrinks, um, you can, you'll probably be able to find space, but at, at higher cost than what you'd like to bank. Certainly. Yeah, there, there's always somebody willing if the dollar figure is right. Joe, you mentioned the uncertain nature of this protest, the fact that there is no one body to negotiate with. There's no clear lines for a resolution. With that being the case, are exporters looking beyond the Port of Oakland to grow their business? Is this stuff, if a shipment was headed to the Port of Oakland, can I divert it to Long Beach, L.A., etc.? Is that kind of flexibility there in the meat exporting space? Well, that's certainly possible, but of course, L.A. Long Beach has its own set of, of problems with congestion and, and staying on schedule. And so I would say that, that diverting it to, to L.A. Long Beach is, uh, is an option, uh, but it's an option that, that is not without uncertainty of its own. And then when you look at perhaps we do have chilled product that goes out of the Pacific Northwest, for example, out of uh, the port of Seattle, Tacoma. And there really isn't any uh, congestion or, or any uh, particular delays going on there. But the problem you have with uh, a port like Seattle-Tacoma is that often your vessel will be making its way up the coast from first L.A. Long Beach and then Oakland and then to Seattle-Tacoma. So while your, your product may get right, in, right into the port of Tacoma, uh, it may be waiting on a vessel that's stuck in Oakland or stuck in Southern California. So uh, it has kind of, when anytime you have a delay at any of the West Coast ports, it can have a ripple effect on the others. Uh, and now as far as diverting it, say, to the Gulf Coast or to the East Coast, with frozen product, that's certainly an option uh, because it's frozen. It can, it, it can, uh, it can de- deal with the, the longer transit time. With chilled product on its way to Asia, that's not really an option. You're just not going to be able to send chilled, chilled pork, for example, out of North Carolina and, and ship it to Japan chilled. Um, and so that's why I mentioned that, that chilled meat, uh, is, it's a particularly challenging situation for exporters of chilled beef and pork. All right, Joan, I'm sure you're going to be keeping an eye on this situation as it develops. But as of now, you're not expecting any big breakthroughs or or fixes to this uh, blockade, are you? Well, we're certainly watching the news closely today. I think today will tell us a lot uh, as far as how many of the protesters decide to come back, uh, whether this is something where they where they perhaps feel they've made their point um, and and uh, will allow the port to, to operate. Um, there's also a question of whether, you know, whether law enforcement will get more involved in the situation. We hope it doesn't come to that, uh, but we need a solution because the Port of Oakland is just an absolutely critical outlet and uh, time is of the essence. It is indeed. Hopefully we'll see some progress soon, folks. That's Joe Sheely, Vice President Communications at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to get excited for Husker Harvest Days, which, believe it or not, is just around the corner. Our friends from Chief Agri will be joining us, as well as Matt Youngman. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at FertilizerTour.com. That's FertilizerTour.com. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Boy, summer is moving forward. We're almost to the month of August, which means we're almost to the month of September and midway through September. Folks, the 13th, 14th, and 15th, it is Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska. Our friends at Chief Agri Grain Storage and Grain Handling have brought us these Husker Harvest Day preview shows. Joining us today to get excited about Husker is Chief President and General Manager Mark Kerr. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. I certainly appreciate it. And I've got a feeling Chief is no stranger to the grounds at Grand Island. Mark, you getting excited for Husker Harvest Days this year? Oh, absolutely. We look forward to the show every year. Uh, multiple reasons to showcase the great products we produce, how we can help consumers, uh, how as a company we're good stewards to the to the community. It's in our backyard. We're where our grain bin plant is and our corporate office, it's right in the middle. So it's 20 miles, 20 miles from us. Uh, our literally our friends, family, neighbors, they attend the local show. Let alone people from really all across the world. We have quite a international contention of people that will be there also. So we're certainly looking forward to it. That is what's so cool about Husker Harvest Days. It's your backyard. You get a chance to show off the exciting parts of Nebraska to these visitors from around the world, and it is truly a global show. I know another person who's getting excited about it is Matt Youngman. He's the events director at Farm Progress in charge of running Husker. And Matt, how is the crowd looking this year? Are you expecting those international visitors to be back in 2022? Yeah, we are. I've been working closely with with the folks from the state of Nebraska, the economic development folks, and they put together a great program for the international visitors. Uh, and it seems to get better and better. It obviously took a dip during COVID, but those numbers are coming back uh, along with all the other numbers. So we're really excited about Husker Harvest Days and, and really excited to be able to, to be on with you through this, this schedule of previews, Mike, and the support from Chief. 
you know, when we rebuilt that site in 2018, I had a conversation with some folks from Chief, and, and they stepped right up and, and helped us with that project. And about every other thing we've ever asked for from, from Chief is they, they have found a way to help us fix problems to make the show better and better every year. That is fantastic. That kind of partnership that has been bred over years of working together and in telling the story of American agriculture to farmers just just can't be beat. Matt, you mentioned the rebuild. As COVID might have kept some folks away over the past couple of years, the Grand Island grounds look very different than they did here just in recent memory. What are some of the big changes? You know, that, that rebuild in 2018 uh, allowed us to build probably the best facility in the world to have an outdoor ag trade show. And, you know, we, we basically did a complete remodel, all new electricity, internet distribution, security lighting, fencing, storm sewer drainage, paved the roads, uh, just about everything you can imagine to, to set the, the format, put the template in place or put the canvas in place so that exhibitors like Chief can show their wares, show their, their displays and, and, and educate the, the visitors. It's uh, it's it's a wonderful facility and and you know we're proud to have chief right there on the entry gates on the way into the facility they're helping us out this year updating five of our entry points you know it's just kind of a a great ongoing partnership uh, at that at that wonderful facility Mark, so Matt has prepared the canvas, as he so eloquently put it, for Chief to paint their masterwork. Tell us what can visitors to the Chief booth expect to learn here when they make it to Husker this year? Well, Chief has multiple divisions. Uh, We showcase three primary business units there. We'll have a beautiful Bonneville home next to a Chief Green Bin and uh, Chief Building sitting off just the side of that. So those three predominant features of Chief. And as Matt indicated, we'll have our uh, the kiosks or the front entry ports. We'll have our names there and, and all, along with every street sign. So uh, our green bin, if I can focus on that, that's, Please. that's my, life blo- my lifeblood here. And that's what excites me, which seems crazy. Um, but nonetheless, we have a, a bin on site. It, it, it's kind of decked out. If you can deck out a, a green bin with, we have a, Circular stairs, eave the the eave to peak stairways. We really highlight the the safety and the simplicity. It's the days of climbing the side of a grain bin on a ladder, and you know, all, for all practical purposes, nearly risking your life to get to the peak. We've uh, we've changed all that. We 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 showcase some of the the, the safety features. Of course, our aeration, material handling, the complete facility, and a in a small unit, if I can say that. It's uh, obviously not a large commercial bin, but we kind of have it decked out as one. Um, right, it can be a template. Look. If you're thinking about making an addition to the farm, you don't have to recreate this one, but it's an idea to get a feel for what the what kind of the, the Cadillac of bins is. Mark, would you call it that? It, it is. We it's, it's not the least expensive bin, we'll say. However, it does give the end users, if I can say even uh, down to the farm level, the farm site level, they can understand what they'll be seeing and what they'll what they'll have when we deliver a new product to them and 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 also what options are out there so they can make the improvements and and oftentimes they do safety and safety is such a concern in today's world it is safety and efficiency and mark you mentioned you've got all the different options there and i'm sure chief is going to have a big team on hand to help folks talk through what might be the best fit for a bin on their operation oh absolutely we'll have a 
the wholesale source there, for lack of better words, to, to meet with each person individually. We'll have some local dealers on site even uh, to answer questions. So just the best optimize their their dollar when they when they make a new purchase. So. That's right. We got to spend them carefully. That's for sure this year. Before we let you gentlemen go, Matt Husker is just around the corner. Is the website up and running? Can folks get tickets and secure access so far? Absolutely. Online tickets are there at huskerharvestdays.com. I was just there last week. I brought my daughter out. It was a take your daughter to Nebraska trip, and uh, she saw her first jackrabbit. While we were touring the field demos, everything looks fantastic and ready to go for the middle of September. 13th, 14th, and 15th, folks, get Husker Harvest Days on your calendar. We've been talking to Chief Agri-President General Manager Mark Kerr and Matt Youngman, Events Director at Farm Progress. Folks, stick around for tomorrow. We'll have more AOA coming right to you. Thanks for listening. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.